you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. Studios. Hi, everyone. This is Retake. I'm John Horn. I like it essentially sound like cop cars. <laughs> John Horn, come in, come in, John Horn. This week has been our spring member drive here at Elias Studios. In case you didn't know, we are funded mostly by people like you who become members to support our work across our news site, Elias.com, and also our public radio station, Elias 89.3. We wanted to make it memorable, so I asked one of our most steadfast supporters, actor Tom Hanks, to talk to me while he's on location in Europe. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Don't make me take you down, guy. You can't take me down. I'm bigger than you are. Yeah, make your move, big guy. From the day they hired me to the day I was fired, I served my clients consistently, thoroughly, with absolute excellence. If they hadn't fired me, that's what I'd be doing today. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Where are you? I am in the city of London. I don't know if you see the cars. They're driving on the wrong side of the street. No matter how many times I tell them. I don't know about you. When you go on getaways or try to unwind, we do lots of puzzles, board games, uh, and crosswords. And my Older brother is a genius at crosswords, and we are stumped. I'm going to hold up this past Sunday's acrostic. Oh, I can't handle an acrostic. The, the, the clues are just so subtle. I can't get them. Well, you can help me out on this one. So this is the, this is the clue. It's the first clue. Actor who played Jim Lovell in Apollo 13. <laughs> Two words. Okay. I tried Gary Sinise. It didn't work. No. Ed Harris. Ed Harris played Gene Kranz. And I even tried Kathleen Quinlan. It didn't fit. Marilyn Lovell. You're going to have to put in my name. It's, it's spelled M-O-T-F-K-A-N-H. That didn't work. Well, sorry. Let me, I'll, tell, I'll do it the other way. Oh, that solves the puzzle. Although, you know who did also play it is Tim Daly. You could try him. Tim Daly played <laughs> uh, Jim Lovell in From the Earth to the Moon. And there was at one point we were, at the, we were screening it at the White House. And it was Tim and Jim. And I, we were the we were the three levels. I'm curious, when you were away with family or with Rita unwinding, are you a puzzle guy? Are you a newspaper guy? When we're all together, it's competitive games. I don't know if you have the the game Syzygy. Uh, that's a fun one, which is essentially another version of uh, guess what, Bananagrams. We play uh, Scattergories because that's a that's a game of telling stories and lying appropriately. We all we all love that. We'll have the occasional um, air hockey tournament. We like that. We'll, we'll know that, you know, round robin competition, essentially a series of either physical or intellectual blood sports in which someone always leaves the room very, very angry. And all the rest of us are saying, oh, come on, come on. You might have heard of this. This is the end of award season. Were you aware of award season? You know, because I was 
eight hours removed from the Pacific time zone, we would get reports of it, you know, sort of like the next day or, you know, sort of like, uh, um, what is it, uh, you know, uh, updates, updates from the battlefield, you know, war room reports. But no, I kind of kind of like sort of missed the whole thing. I had, you know, I was I was in one of the films that was uh, Ballyhooed somewhat. I was in Elvis. And so I I had uh, friends that I cared for that were that are up for it. And uh, they got skunked. But, you know, it's 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 part of the game. This is we, we all know the deal. We all know it's we're, none of us are competitors. We're all peers. Well said. I actually saw, I was at the show and I saw Baz and CM, Catherine Martin. And I said to Catherine afterward, because she was, you know, as you would be, a little disappointed that she didn't win an Oscar, uh, curious as to what had happened. And Baz said, I got to start making movies more often. In fact, the last time you and I spoke, it was at a screening in New York for Elvis. And that movie was really well received. But I do wonder when a film that you have worked on doesn't win awards, do you take that as, is it just not a big deal or do you feel a little sad? Uh, well, I, I, you get wrapped up in the hurly burly of it all because the, the award seasons now officially begin, I think Labor Day, you know, yep. as soon as, as soon as anybody starts showing up at a film festival, uh, and I, every, we've now arguments over what is the first film festival where the the whole the whole clockwork get begins to get gets wound. And is it there are days I remember the days where, you know, if you had a movie, you were going to Venice and you were going to Deauville and then they added Toronto to it. And then there was both the New York and then there was Telluride as well. And then later on, they started throwing in Palm Springs and I don't know, San Anselmo, the West Covina. The, uh, you know, Greater Albuquerque Film Festival, you know, and people start showing up at all those things. And there is a there is the cottage industry of what I sort of call the entertainment industrial complex, of which that's just the constant churn. And that's kind of like what they you know, that's the season, kind of like a a small town that has the tourist season. You know, that's when they that's when they make that's when they have all their attention. That's when the streets are crowded. Um, and so you do get a little bit involved in it and it is a pleasure. It's, and it's fun to be sort of like have made the playoffs, you know, uh, to use the sports metaphor in it. And you always think you might be, uh, you might be into it. Lightning can strike. Uh, and there's always, uh, let's understand, you know, uh, there is there, anytime you're dividing up a room into winners and losers, which would you rather be John Horn? Yes. I want to be with the winners. I want to be with the winners. Everybody wants to be with the winners at the, at the, uh, really when it's all said and done, um, it ends up being an asterisk towards, uh, I think the way the, uh, uh the, the way the zeitgeist captures, uh, the movie that there's no substitute for pride and delight in the, uh, the finished article of, any film you're in or actually any film you see the moment you first see it, all the rest of the stuff you understand is uh, kind of like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at Chuck E. Cheese besides the pizza. You know what I mean? But uh, at the end of the day, you got to enjoy that. I wonder if you ever, and I know some other actors who have been making movies and it is either said or felt like this feels like Oscar, this feels like Oscar. And then at the end of the day, the movie is straight to video. You're a fool. If you anybody, anybody who says that kind of stuff is I mean, it's, I'm not just I'm literally not superstitious as you. There is no no substitution for some uh, for 
Vox Populi. You know, you you there you, you sort of cross a Rubicon. Um, we're talking about the business here, John. We're talking about the business. This is show business, not necessarily show art. And you do you do you there are people that are going to force um you know perspective of commerce upon anything you do because a lot of money is at stake. Yeah, didn't Jim, I heard this joke? Jimmy Kimmel said the difference between movies and television is that in television it's really hard to lose a hundred million dollars, you know. Well, I've been involved on on some of those movies that did that very thing. It's forced upon you somewhere in the in the in the whole process. And you know, by and large, if you read a if you read a script with a possibility of doing it, it's often two or three years before you get to the place where it's done, where you're waiting, you're waiting to see if anybody cares about it. And the the first Rubicon you cross is whether you want to do it or not. And the second one is as you are making it. And the third is when you see it and you yourself decide, well, I think it works. I kind of like it or I'm confused. I don't uh, I know. I don't know what this thing is going to do. But the last one, that fourth one is how it is, how it lands in the eye of the viewer. And you have no idea. And if you are foolish enough in order to predict such a thing, oh, you're 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 going to have you're going to have stomach trouble. Uh, you're going to have you're going to have ulcers by the time that it's your your life is finished. We were talking about Elvis, and I just went and looked something up. Three years ago today, there was news out of Australia where a certain actor was making Elvis and said certain actor had COVID. Three years ago, and and I think I speak for many people, there was the Jazz Thunder game that was postponed just as they were about to tip off the ball. And then there was when you and Rita... Um, were diagnosed with COVID. And I think one or two or both of those events in a lot of people's mind told us, this is serious, this is for real, this is happening. And it was three years ago today. Uh, I'm astounded because one, I think everything happened seven years ago. I think my children were born seven years ago and Bosom Buddies was canceled seven years ago. I think everything's happened. And I thought we, we declared ourselves the, you know, the COVID canaries in the coal mine as far as mass communication goes. I thought that was seven years ago. Um, there was no doubt that we were sick. Uh, and there was no doubt that uh, it was taken being taken very, very seriously uh, at the time. Uh, I mean, literally, we were escorted into ICUs by way of people in hazmat suits uh, because it was extraordinarily scary. Um, uh, as we now know, all you have to do is, you know, there's still what somewhere between 304 people a day dying of COVID, uh, 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 uh symptoms, uh, still going on. Uh, and yeah, it, there was a talk for a while once we were done. I mean, you know, we were in lockdown and we were sick for the better part of, well, both of us, 11 days, 11 days of a very, very serious malady. Uh, and then we recovered, uh, luckily so. We did not have any of the number of, uh, what do they call them, uh, 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 conditions that uh, once once our fevers had not spiked, once our lungs were clear, once we were getting enough oxygen, we for about 72 hours, they realized we were, quote unquote, safe. So all we had to do was get over it. Uh, not easy to do. We were still pretty sick. But it was that advent of it all that there was talk of, well, I remember reading an article by, I think it was at the time, the vice president of the United States that said, by Memorial Day, all of this will be behind us. It was the president of the United States, and he said, by Easter. 
Okay, all right, there you go. Didn't quite happen that way. Not so much. And as regards in regards to the movie, there was talk. Okay, well, you know, we'll we'll come back on June fifteenth, and then it was we'll come back on July fifteenth. Oh, we'll come back on we'll all come back on August fifteenth, and it had to shake itself out so that we did not go back and start shooting until uh, I think it was the thirtieth of September when we when we went back down again and changes were made and. And an awful lot of the movie, and we made it under those, you know, the strict ongoing protocols uh, that uh, that made it very unique. And well, you know, the rest is, you know, the rest is some kind of history, though, isn't it? More with Tom Hanks in just a moment. We are powered by listeners like you. So if you like these kinds of in-depth interviews, you can join our community of members by going to elias.com slash join. And there's some great Elias merch you can get if you donate, like the Elias hoodie that I'm wearing, or a Nalgene water bottle that I believe was boosted by my wife. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. Look, I know I don't look like myself, okay? But something really strange happened, and I'm really scared, and I need you to help me, my best friend! I can prove it to you! The space goes down, down, baby, down, down the roller coaster. Sweet, sweet, baby, sweet, sweet, don't let me go. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bar, shimmy, shimmy, rock. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa bar, shimmy, shimmy, rock. I'm at a girlfriend, a tusket. She said a tusket, a biscuit, ice cream, soda, pop, no, on the top. Ooh, Shalina, walking down the street, ten times a week. I'm in it, I said it, I stole my mama's credit. I'm cool, I'm hot, I'll suck you in the stomach three more times. So, Tom, you are in London. What brought you to London? What are you working on? I'm making a movie with Bob Zemeckis uh, and Robin Wright and Paul Bettany and Kelly Riley called Here, H-E-R-E, as in right here, on LAist 89.3. It's from a graphic novel by uh, a a great writer by the name of uh, Richard McGuire, published, I think, in 2011, 2012, somewhere around in there. It's very unique. I, I can't, I, I, there's no way you can describe a movie that you're making other than uh, we're making it here and there's a lot of very specific uh, hardware and uh, uh, involved. <laughs> How's that? Is this live action or Zemeckis kind of performance capture t- style? This is all, this is all live action, um, but it's a very, it's a very specific, I mean, look, it's cameras and lenses. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, but there's no small amount of, uh, uh, other technology that goes along with it that's going to make it possible for us to be in uh, in one place, but over many, many, many years. Here, H-E-R-E. We get to see a younger Tom Hanks and an older Tom Hanks? 
Well, there, there are everybody uh, in in the key uh, stories. Yes, they do. They do age, and so there is a. Uh, I think there's the more le- non malevolent uses of the deep fake technology that will go into this. We sort of see it in re- in real time. It's we. It's not necessary. Everything, of course, will go through a long post production process, but we have an, ex- an extremely good uh, visual reference for the technology right then and there, literally as we're doing speed of light. So we know what you look like in your younger life. You do too. Are you happy with what you might look like in your imagined older life? My imagined older life is right now. Uh, so uh, I, I, I end up looking like my dad and, and, and my older brother and my younger brother as well. We all sort of like are melding into this kind of like version of uh, every one of our relatives we've ever seen old photographs of. It's, you know, one of the things you have to get past of doing this is that grim visage that looks at you from the mirror when you're sitting there in the uh, in the works in the morning before you go to work. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to change it except maybe throw yourself into deep fake technology and see what happens. But they are they are able now. And look, we're not actually new. This can happen. Uh, this ha- you know, you, I believe a lot of people can do it at home. You can. Any, any old photographs of yourself, you could sort of like slam into some brand of hard drive and, uh, and, look, and look and act the, the way you did. It's, it's no different, really, other than it, the, the felicity of it all, the fidelity of it, if I'm using the word rightly, of, you know, putting on an extreme makeup job. In fact, there is makeup stuff that is required in order to do it. But as actors go into uh, the works, as we call it, and alter their their noses and their hairline and their wigs and their shoulders and everything else that goes along. This this is just another tool in that toolbox. I was talking with the actor Lori Metcalf a number of years ago about Lady Bird, um, the Greta Gerwig movie. And she said something that stuck with me. And she said, sometimes you get a project where the script is so good, you just say to your, and the part, you say to yourself, I have to be a part of this film. And then there are sometimes when you get offered something and the people who are making it are people you want to spend time with and you respect and admire. And she said, it's very rare that the two happen at the same time. I would say that I've had great good fortune in that uh, the reason I end up saying something, saying yes to something is, is a combination of the two. Uh, Without a doubt, often if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. And no matter how much you love these people, enjoy them. If you are not all making the same movie, there's going to be a problem <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the mix, somewhere in the in the logic and the execution of what you're going for is going to be difficult. Uh, there is, I, I, I agree. I mean, by the way, Laurie Metcalf is one of the greatest actors on the planet Earth. She always has been. I've seen her on stage and screen and and television. There's no reckoning with her ability. There is, I think, uh, an option for pure on faith and serendipity that sometimes goes into a project where you're going to go, well, look, you guys are throwing so deep here. I'm not sure exactly what my part is going to be in this. But if you want to take my instinct and also the responsibility of steering me to where you want me to go, I'm in. And that's uh, that that I, I learned that a long, long time ago that uh, I mean, really, in my first jobs, when I really didn't understand what was going on in, say, a production of King John 
but I knew it was one of the most invigorating experiences I've ever had. The uh, uh, the, the the aspect of, of the the pleasant hang, you know, the the good group of people that you're with. I'm going to say right now, there's no substitute for that. And once you've done that a few too many times, which I have not, I must I must say, I I, I don't think I've I don't think I could tell you a movie that uh, that I wanted off of to get away. But everybody works, I find, extremely hard. But if you've had one too many of those experiences, you don't want to repeat it. As an actor, sometimes you have to advocate for something that's good for your character, but maybe not necessarily good for the actor to play. Is that something that you find yourself doing that to, to set aside your ego, not that you have an ego, but that to set aside your ego and do what's best for the film and the performance rather than what's best for the actor? Oh, I think that you, you'll have that challenge come at you five or six times a day. Um, I mean, if, if you... Uh, if you're so self-conscious that you can't get past the fact that there is a job, there is a there is a beat that you have to fulfill, then really you really shouldn't be there doing it. And and I will tell you that the phenomenal people that I have worked with, I mean, as in those that make me quake in awe when we first start working together, I've never found a one of them to have any sort of ego or desire in on, o- only in order to service some version of themselves uh you 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 gotta you know you're all you're all you gotta jump in the river man and uh and float on downstream i, I i've had the in some cases the the problem where uh my logic has led me down a, a certain kind of tributary and folks said you know I, do you have to be that can you not be a little more cheerful and you know upbeat and uh, can your eyes sparkle a little bit when you say that and i said you know, as I'm gunning down Nazis, I don't think I can, you know, things like that. So you've uh, uh, you're the, it, all of it ends up being some sort of like fluid servicing to uh, to a gossamer and, and elusive goal. You do find out on a set just how um, how many tests you can give of the material and of each other. And the great blessing is, is when, you know, you, you walk away and you're just kind of exhausted from the emotional ringing that you've been doing to the beat, to the moment and, and with each other. I'll be right back with more from Tom Hanks. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. I feel in the Hispanic communities, we're just told to kind of just keep going. Don't feel. I'm LA's mental health reporter, Robert Garova. Getting mental health care is often overwhelming. If you have a patient that was admitted for a serious suicide attempt, if they haven't been suicidal for 24 hours, the insurance company is like, get them hell out. My reporting helps unravel the knot by focusing on the stories of people struggling to make the mental health care system work for them. LA's independent journalism, fact-based journalism.
I'm John Horn, back now to my conversation with Tom Hanks. As I have said earlier, we have been on a membership drive this week, asking listeners like you to join our community. Tom is one of those members and a staunch supporter. Do you remember your first radio and what you listened to back then? Oh, I, I can tell you right now, I got a radio, I think, for my 12th birthday. It was made by a Korean company called Sunmark, S-U-N-M-A-R-K, Sunmark, battery-operated, AMFN, tuned the knobs, and I believe Sunmark was an original uh, version of Samsung. I think it became Samsung later on. And uh, the and I grew up in Oakland, and being able to get KSAN and uh, uh, KSFX when it came in, this, this, this was like getting color TV after only having black and white. I mean, we listened we listen to uh, KNEWB, uh, KEWB, that they were the same state. KDIA was a soul station. Uh, KFRC, KYA, that was a biggie. KYA, we knew, was one of the original radio stations because it only had three call letters. That was a big deal for us. KYA. KYA temperatures around the bay, 59 degrees in Oakland and San Rafael, San Jose, 62. That's KYA News, brought to you by the Olympia Brewing Company of Tumwater, Washington. As we hit more music on the Johnny Holiday Show, it's 58 degrees at KYA San Francisco. But that, that, the, the being alone in bed and, you know, it's 11 o'clock, it's midnight, you should be going to bed, but you're still waiting for that one song and maybe it's on this station and maybe it's on those other... That, that dark bedroom with the shadows outside the, the windows as you've got this transistorized voice, the, the late night DJs, Emperor Gene Nelson, guys like that. You're listening, you're listening, Dr. Don Rose, you're, he was a morning guy, but you're, you're, you're listening to curated, you're listening to a voice, a guy in a booth is playing records and he's talking to exactly one listener. And that listener is you. Very, very. I, I was swept up in in the radio and also uh, in the independence of having my own. Come in. Welcome. I had a little transistor, and we'd go on camping trips, and K, uh, KNX AM 1070 had a very strong signal. And at 8 or 9 o'clock every weeknight, they had the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Unbelievable voices, but it would transport me, like you said, into a different world. And it really, I think, started my love of storytelling. Do you think there's a direct line from the experience you had listening to radio to the idea of being a storyteller yourself? 100 percent there was uh, uh particularly late at night when you weren't in the confines of drive time or you know the the, the ongoing ads those guys who were at the station at 10 30 at night going on into midnight or afterwards they would they would play themes they would i don't i mean like the music that they were choosing were thematic there was one night i was listening to at the time um K-N-E-W in Oakland. The guy just went on a tear of car songs. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Car songs. 
409 by the Beach Boys, Drag City by uh, uh, Jan and Dean, uh, Spring Little Cobra by the Rich Rip Chords, uh, Little GTO by Ronnie and the Daytonas. He must have played 14 car songs in, in a row, and I've never been happier. Then after that, later on, he played some, you know, he played some other brand of music, you know, in a, like a bunch of instrumentals in the row or something like that. Cast Your Fate to the Wind or Take Five by Dave Brubeck. It was, it was no lie. I'm not, I'm no musician, but it did have the effect of musical score on what was going on in your head at the time. You know, whatever you're imagining, whatever I was imagining, story-wise or vision-wise or, you know, picture-wise inside my head. It was, it was scored particularly by, by late night radio. And then later on, certainly by the FM stations that could play you know, a full side of something, you know, for 17 minutes. Absolute, absolute. I saw stories in my head based on old, old records like The Lion Sleeps Tonight or Cast Your Fate to the Wind or uh, uh, Skeeter Davis's um, uh, The End of the World. You know, you, 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 they were story songs. I, I, I saw the stories. I, I, I heard them. I heard the stories that the songwriters wrote and the performers sang songs about, you know, jilted lovers, <laughs> you know, there was that guys in jail, you know, Johnny Cash thing about guys in jail. Great stuff. When do you remember starting to listen to either public radio or news on the radio and that it meant meant something to you? I will tell you right now, we were working in my garage in Studio City in 1980. We were building sets for a production of a play uh, that we were putting up, me and a bunch of me and a bunch of friends from college, and Mark Shoemate, one of our uh, uh, illustrious alumni from Sacramento, who were down uh, down in Los Angeles, trying to uh, trying to make our way. We were uh, we were cleaning up a bunch of stuff, and we we're just getting ready to lay out some more stuff. And he said, "Oh, it's uh, time for all things considered." We had the radio on, you know. And he said, "Hey, it's four o'clock. It's time for all things considered." And I said, what is all things considered? I had never heard it. And he said, oh, it's a wonderful sort of like, I think he said, it's kind of like 60 minutes, but it's on the radio. I said, well, let's listen. Boom, done, done. Discovering, uh, might've been 89.3, could have been, because we were in the Valley and uh, that probably would have been the strongest single that we got. And discovering both that sort of information, live information delivered to us, and the fact that it was public radio, and we didn't have to, you know, take time out for commercials for plumbing services or Pepsi Cola or anything like that. I, I, I felt that I had, I'd landed. I literally said to Mark, "Where has this been all this time?" Because I needed it badly. And after that, man, I don't think, I, I don't think I moved it off in my car or at home, playing in the background every morning. And I still do that. I landed whenever I'm on location on a in a city, I will find the local uh, public radio station. And always, hey, folks, if you're in a local city and it's a pledge drive, come on, phone in for 50 bucks. Get the tote bag and the coffee cup and support your local uh, public radio station. Listen to Tom, please. This podcast is powered by listeners like you donating as little as $5 a month. And we can only keep making more episodes like this one with your partnership. Support us by donating now at Elias.com forward slash join. Thanks for listening to Retake. I'm John Horn. 
Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino, Monica Bushman, and Taylor Kaufman. The editor is Suzanne Levy, with special thanks this week to John Raby and Donald Paws. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.